Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Washington, D.C., Ben Olson. Ben, how you doing? Doing great. We have a big backlog still of emails that we could try to crank through today. Uh, We also have a couple uh, news stories to talk about. Um, Yeah. So the first one, I just got this this morning. Haven't had much time to look at it, much time to look into it. But uh, it's a story from law.com about the LSAC's new CEO. Okay. Uh, which I did see that headline yesterday. Uh, it's University of Washington School of Law, Dean Kelly Testy. Okay. Kel- Kelly, I, I don't know, Kelly, maybe it's just K-E-L-L-Y-E. I'm going to say Kelly, huh? Kelly. And then her last name is Testy, and she's going to be the CEO of the uh, LSAT test maker, the LSAC. Now, from what I understand, the CEO position rotates from a law school dean to law school dean on a yearly basis or every other year or something like that. I actually don't know. But so is this, is this like something different in terms of like, I I guess what I'm wondering, is this like a new position, a new process or just a new person who's like, Hey, I think we should have more tests that I have no idea. Um, but I am if I just a couple interesting things I thought in this. Yeah. In the, in the story. Um, one is that the LSAC is apparently kicking around the idea of offering additional test dates and Mm -hmm. that they are going to hopefully decide later this month at their big meeting. Okay. So we don't have any news about that, but we do have, uh, at least a teaser of, uh, boy, that would be great if they did offer additional test dates. Um, we also have, it, it seems as if she, or at least the story is positioning it as if she might be a little bit of a backlash from what happened in 1996. Um, it says in 96, that's when Arizona became the first law school to accept GRE scores in addition to LSAT scores. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, the council, the LSAC <laughs> threatened to boot Arizona from its membership Yep. Okay. And deans from 149 schools, including uh, Dean Testy, signed a letter supporting Arizona's right to experiment with the GRE. Okay. And the council eventually backed off. Okay. Um, so then there's a quote in this news story from Arizona law dean Mark Miller, who uh, seems to be happy about uh, Testy's selection. So it seems like um, Arizona is seeing this as a move in the right direction and that they're hoping to have a little bit better relationship with the LSAC moving forward. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's so funny how uh, these two things uh, have come out in the last few months, right? One, the digital LSAT uh, trial, and then now someone who might want to offer additional test dates. I mean, these are like earthquakes in an industry that's... I know perpetually silent i'm wondering know? if we should take full credit or do you think partial credit <laughs> uh well let's think here for a second yeah i mean i think full is the only thing that makes sense well none of this has ever happened until we started talking about it yeah <laughs> and correlation is a perfect a perfect causation so yeah 
we talked about it, then it started happening. Yeah. So yeah, you're welcome, everybody out there. Um, cool. So I, yeah, I, this seems like good news. Um, how quickly they will move, we don't we don't know. Or we could speculate that they're not going to move very quickly, but uh, mm-hmm. the competition from the GRE, yeah, does seem to have lit a fire under them, huh? Yeah. Cool. Nothing like a little motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, immediately it's, I mean, of course that causal relationship isn't a hundred percent clear either. It could be that these things were already in the works, but uh, yeah, it does seem pretty convenient that this, as soon as the GRE starts posing them some real competition, they actually have to start modernizing, modernizing and making themselves a little bit more friendly for test takers. The fact that it's only offered four times a year is really, really unfriendly. I mean, that is such a pain in the ass that it's only offered four, four times a year. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they, they just need to double that at least, or just go ahead and make it continuously offered like every other modern test. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So there's that. Um, you posted to the agenda, this thing about Wonder Woman. You want to talk about Wonder Woman? Yeah, so uh, the movie Wonder Woman is coming out soon, and the the lead actor is uh, Gal Gadot. I think that's how you say her name. And you don't want to say Gadot <laughs> on that? Oh yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, I'm horrible at pronouncing stuff. I don't know Gadot. Yeah. yeah. Um. So <clears throat> I was the only reason I posted this is because I guess she's been in the uh, Fast and Furious yeah. franchise, mm-hmm. you know, movies for a while, and I guess she's always been getting these like secondary parts, and she's wanted to kind of get more of a main role yep. in some movies, but she kept getting really close and then not getting it. And so in this article on Yahoo Movies, it says that. Um, uh, well, this is quoting her. She says, I was very lucky to get this part, the main character in Wonder Woman, the movie that's coming out, but I don't feel like I just blew up. I got to a point, I don't know what that means. I got to a point just before Wonder Woman when I had so many almosts, a great audition, a great camera test, but always the runner up that I was ready, that I got to the point that I was ready to give up and go back to law school. Ugh. And when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, even if you're like getting a, you know, not the main, main uh, part of a movie, I think that (laughs) even having a secondary role would just be so much more interesting and fulfilling than a law school degree. Yeah, (laughs) it would be more fun, more glamorous, more remunerative, um, (laughs) better in every way. Uh, yeah, well, she's, she's got the drive inside of her, I guess. And, uh, now she's rewarded. <laughs> yeah. With the big Anyways. lead role in a DC comics movie. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That, totally pointless. It just was like, I was surprised that someone would still have a fallback to, to law school <laughs> from an acting career. Yeah. That seems pretty successful. I mean, people know who she is, even if she hasn't, hadn't gotten this role. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope that movie's good. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, what did I see the other day about superhero movies? It was um, it was a little quick like infographic, and it was um, it was a 
it was ranking by uh, by <laughs> weirdly by race and name. It was ranking all the Marvel superheroes. Sure. And it had <laughs> white dudes named Chris outnumber all women superheroes in the entire Marvel universe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> white dudes named Chris. There's more of them have been have been like in more Marvel Marvel movies than all women combined. <laughs> It was, it was pretty awesome. If I can dig that up, I will. Uh, wait, wait, let me try it right now. This is going to make for great radio, by the way. Wait, so wait, the actor's name is Chris, or the character is named Chris? I don't even know these characters. No, names. the the actor. Oh, okay, okay. The right, actor, yeah. yeah. It's um. Wait, that's not the one. I can't find the. Uh, yeah, because it's like Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Chris O'Donnell. Well, that's like older, but there's it, <laughs> it's it's like yeah, Hemsworth has been Thor three times. Um, yeah, it, you know, just and, and then it was like it was a cool little little like infographic, but it was like stacked up like this bar chart, and it was they were putting the head. It was like the they had like this square icon of the of the guy. And so it was like a, a a stack of these square images of white dudes named Chris, and then it was like this multicolored stack of all women, but it didn't come nearly as high as the <laughs> stack of white Chris's. Um, yeah, oh, it is good. weird. Like, uh, what's her name? You know, Scarlett um, Johansson, mm-hmm. right? Is that that's her name? Yeah. I, she Black Widow, right? Wait, why haven't they done a movie about that? That would be cool. Um. They should. I think one's in the works, I, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. women just get hosed in Hollywood, period. Like, women just don't get lead roles. That's that's how it is. Like, movies are about men. So, and I mean, that's slowly, slowly changing in Hollywood, um, especially as more women actually make films themselves. But it's, uh, yeah, that's been a big time problem for a long time in Hollywood. That does seem a little ironic right i mean hollywood is sort of seems to portray itself as like this holier than thou we know what's going on sort of center yeah but at the same time (laughs) it's like unbelievably shallow and unbelievably just like marketing driven and traditional really you know it's they're making movies for the center of the country and for the entire world so they play to the lowest common denominator so they put like pretty faces and boobs, you know, and then it's yeah. like all the, all the dude action heroes. That's just the way they, the way they have historically rolled, but, uh, it seems as if we're coming into a more modern time. So that's good for everybody. Cool. Yep. All right. Um, we will post links to this stuff in the show notes and I'll try to dig up that cool infographic. Cause I thought it was interesting. Um, all right. Another email here. It says, Hi, Nathan and Ben. I've found that I perform best on the test after I listen to an episode of Thinking LSAT prior to taking a test, especially one that focuses on substance <laughs> as opposed to admission advice or career advice. 
Oh, I thought I was going to, as opposed to your <laughs> rambling. Superhero ramblings, yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, our admission advice and career advice is substance, okay? I think that this correspondent <laughs> meant LSAT substance as opposed to yeah. uh, admission and career substance. Anyway, it's like I can hear your voices in my head when I'm taking the test, which is incredibly helpful. I'm taking the June test and will definitely be mining the podcast for episodes focused on LSAT substance slash strategy advice to listen to as I drive to the test center. I think it could be cool to do a so you're about to take the LSAT episode where you essentially make an episode for people to listen to as they drive to the test center. Obviously nothing too in the weeds as far as substance goes, but just some general overarching substance reminders, necessary versus sufficient, etc. Anything to get our brains warmed up and, quote, thinking LSAT. It could also include reminders not to freak out, to forget about each section when it's over, etc. Basically what you would tell slash teach a student if you only had 60 minutes with him or her. Just an idea. Uh, thanks again, thanks again, thanks again. Uh, yeah, what do you think about that? Well, <clears throat> I think it's a great idea. Uh, this email does win for using the word substance more than any other email I've ever read. <laughs> oh, boy. We are just ripping on our own audience. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they keep writing us? I don't know. Um, yeah, no, this is good. This is a great idea, I think. Um I don't know that it would be 60 minutes, but we could have a short episode that was just, hey, here's some things to keep in mind. Keep your head together and go do awesome. I like to think that any of our episodes would be perfect for driving to the test center. You know, don't you yeah. think we bring the calm and focus on every episode? That is sort of the goal. I think so. I mean, unintentionally, of course. Yeah. We've never set out to do anything intentionally but <laughs> no no we have not <laughs> far from it uh yeah i think it's a good idea like huh? test focused like advice though you know specifically thinking about like hey take a few seconds before you start the section to just relax yeah um do the same thing when they call five minutes uh yeah yeah probably yeah i think it'd be pretty short but it seems like it could be something that people would get into yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put it on the agenda, uh, a plan. We'll, we'll have to, we're going to have to plan a little bit ahead to do this, but maybe next week, Ben, we could record it and have it in the can. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll have to think about that. So thanks for this suggestion. I don't see a name here. Um, but thanks. Thank you for the suggestion. Uh, hi, Ben and Nathan. I have been enjoying your podcast as I prepare for the June LSAT. I was wondering if you had any insight on how much the difficulty of individual sections can vary from test to test. I've been thinking about this as I analyze trends in my performance. For example, I normally score between minus zero and minus four on reading comprehension, but on my last test, my scores in the other two sections were significantly better than usual, while my reading comprehension score jumped to minus eight. Could it be that the RC section was more difficult than usual on that test and they made up for it with easier than usual LR and LG? Similarly, I usually get around minus five on LR, but sometimes that means minus four on one section and minus one on the other. Is one actually more difficult than the other or is it all in my head? <laughs> Related to that, 
I've gotten exactly 13 questions wrong, but different scores on three different tests. Should I take that to mean that my performance was similar on those tests, or does the curve mean that one test was much harder? Thanks, Caroline. Uh, I think the, the best way to think about this is to think about a games section. Uh, I think that's the easiest one to sort of evaluate the difficulty of the games mm. on that section. And I would definitely say that some game sections are <laughs> much less desirable than others. For example, the you know Test 57 games uh, with the dinosaur mm. game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I w- many people would prefer not to have gotten that section yep. and would have preferred to get a different section. So I do think sections can vary in difficulty. Part of the problem, though, when looking at your own results is that how much of that is just random variation and how much of it is the difficulty of the section. Uh, one thing that can help though, like in my score tracker, uh, the difficulty of the questions and thus the average difficulty of the section is determined by not just one person's test results, but several people's test results, right? Uh, actually not sure how many people are in there, but uh, presumably hundreds. And so you can start to see like, oh, yeah, I'll, actually several people did more poorly on this section than uh, usual. So it's a slightly, it appears to be a slightly harder section. I think that's a much more realistic way to assess whether a section was actually harder. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised, I think just out of sheer randomness, that the other sections <laughs> in that test happen to be a little bit easier. Um on her last question, though, she's asking, she's like, look, I got 13 wrong on three different tests. Different LSAT shouldn't score. My, yeah. yeah. Shouldn't my score be the same? But I wouldn't really look at the raw score. I actually never really even think about the raw score um, in that regard. For one thing, there can be 99, 100, 101 questions. Yeah. Right? So yeah. minus 13, it's out of a different number for one thing. Yeah. It's out of a different number. Um, and I think the whole point of the the curve, if you want to call it that, is to adjust for the potential differences between the tests so that they can try to keep them somewhat standardized. Yeah. That's what standardized testing is trying to do. So They're shooting for the same scale every time, but they don't quite nail it every time, which makes me wonder why they don't just curve it. We've complained about this in the past. If I was them, I think I would just curve it. Uh, I don't know what their rationale is for not curving it, but instead they use the experimental section to predetermine the difficulty of the sections. And then they try to put together a test that is approximately the same difficulty as previous tests. And they use that scoring scale to adjust. They attempt to do that for, for, for slightly different tests, but yeah, I, I do think that they're not the same difficulty. Um, yeah, they, even on the scaled score, there's some tests that are easier than others on the scaled score. So, yeah, but yeah, you're, but less so, right? I mean, the scaled score is trying to account for that difficulty to some degree. Yeah. And when I administer tests, you know, I can administer a test that I think is on the harder end and some people will do terribly on, or some people will do great on it. And I'll administer tests that I think are on the easier end. And some people will do poorly on that one. It's just, yeah, the thing you said a second ago, Ben, I think is the, the really the gist of it is that 
you're going to have as a test taker, you're going to have your own random variability. And there's a lot of different reasons why your score is going to go up and down. And I think it seems to me that Caroline is just slicing the data way too thinly here. And instead of falling into the trap of looking at these numbers so finely and, and thinking that you're spotting trends, you should just be reviewing your mistakes and get better. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't care how many in which section, and I don't care about the fluctuation. I care which ones did you miss? And let's talk about those. Yeah. I don't care how, if the test was harder or easier, I don't care any of that stuff. And I definitely don't care about your splits on logical reasoning. Mm-hmm. If you missed all five on one section, or if you missed three on one section and two on the other, I give zero shits about that. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. That's just five logical reasoning questions that you missed. Yep. And we should talk about those mistakes and cause there's reasons why there's there, you know, there was some way that you could have avoided that mistake. And so rather than talking about the numbers, let's talk about the content the substance, if you will, of the test. Yeah. You know, um, last night I was just talking to someone about scores Mm -hmm. and I mean, this thing just comes up over and over and over again, but, uh, she was talking about how her, her scores have stayed somewhat similar over the last three tests and that's making her worried. But she did say that her accuracy was going up. She just wasn't getting to as many questions. And so I said, Hey, look, you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, but I'm doing fewer questions. I'm getting more of them right. So my score ends up staying the same. And how am I going to make any progress? And I'm like, well, you got to keep doing this. And the reason for it is that as you focus on this accuracy, I know we've talked about this so many times, but I, I, I still feel like people, are just drawn to the score and it's hard not to, to be of course. But um, I was trying to explain to her that like one of the questions that we had just done in class, I read the first four words of the answer choice. And after reading the first four words, I, I stopped and I said, okay, this is wrong. It was a parallel reasoning question and moved on. And this was the answer choice that some people had been stuck on, that they were debating between. They were debating between this answer choice and the right answer choice. And I said, well, these four words make this definitively wrong because those words said um, those people and only those people. And so what that creates is like, you know, like a double arrow Mm -hmm. sort of uh, like if and only Mm -hmm. if sort of situation. And I was like, the original argument didn't have any sort of if and only if. This is way too strong. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as it says those people and only those people, I was like, I'm out of here. This is done. So that took me the sum total, what, eight seconds? (laughs) You know, and here this turned out to be the answer choice that other that most people in the class were debating. So they weren't, they were not only reading the whole thing, which is kind of long in parallel reasoning, but they were also like reading that, then reading the correct answer and like going back and forth. And I'm like, so notice what happens when you really start to understand something, that's what allows you to go so much faster because you're eliminating the answer before you even read the whole thing and confidently, right? And you're like, oh, this is it. This is not it. I'm out of here. And then you go back to the right answer. You pick that and you move on. If you don't have that level of understanding, then you're going to take time. And so slowing down, increasing your accuracy is a reflection 
of your deeper understanding of the test, which will eventually translate into very concrete and enormous speed gains, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, that's where the really big scores come from is from, from deep understanding and yeah, you might go slower today and tomorrow and for the next week or two, you might go slower, but eventually you're going to be going much, much faster because you're answering these questions like a mile away. I mean, how many times it happens, it's happening to me more and more, like read the first sentence of an argument in logical reasoning, even on a question yeah. I've never seen before. I was talking about this, what, last episode, prep test 80. And I'm, I'm looking at a question I've definitely never seen before. I read one sentence and I already know what they're going to say next. And I know what they're going to ask. And I know what the answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's because I'm tuned in and I'm going slowly and carefully and really listening to what they say. And yeah, when I think about a student, I mean, all 150s are not created equally, right? I would vastly mm-hmm. prefer that you only did the first 10 questions on each section and got a 150, which is, well, not, maybe that's not quite possible. But if you, let's say you did the first 15 questions on each section, yeah, you can easily get a 150 by just doing yeah. the first 15 questions. And boy, that's a better candidate for improvement than the person who does all 25 questions in each section and gets a 150. Yep. If you do every question on the test and you only get 60 of them right, you're skimming the surface and you're training yourself to, to just miss questions and not really understand. On the other hand, if you only do 13, 14 questions and you get almost all of them right, and then you yeah. run out of time and you get a 150, the sky's the limit for that person because mm-hmm. you have arrived at a place where you are actually understanding the test. You're actually getting them. You, you actually know that the, you know what the answer is. Holy shit. Imagine that <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not just narrowing it down a little bit and guessing you're not just scratching the surface and, and, and going, Oh, well probably maybe this one, I don't know. And then getting it right half the time. Instead, yeah. you're like taking the time to really sort it out and figure it out. And yeah, that's where the real, you know, that's real understanding. And that's where the, the, the real speed and real, um, big scores can, can come from sometimes. Yep. So to get back to Caroline here, um, I think you're, you're slicing the, the numbers way too finely. I think you're worried too much about section difficulty. I, I think the answer is yes, sections can be harder and easier. Yes, tests can be harder and easier. So what? Um, you know, let's go back to uh, reviewing your mistakes. Yep. Okay. Cool. At the at the end of the day, that's what you always got to do, right? You get it doesn't matter what your score is. You got questions wrong. Those are all opportunities. Every single one of them is an opportunity to figure out how the heck you messed up, learn about yourself, and do better on the next test. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and and this was no. There's no trend here either. You know, like students. It's like, well, I usually get between minus zero and minus four on reading comprehension, and now I'm now I got minus eight. Well, okay, that's just, you know, a few coin flips one way or the other. And now you're looking at a minus eight instead of a minus four. It's just, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Um, yeah. The students love to see trends on one data point and we would need five tests worth of reading comprehension scores before we could start talking about, you know, <laughs> what a trend is. Yeah. So whichever ones you missed, those are the ones we should talk about. And, uh, that's where the real work gets done. Yep. 
Okay. Uh, you want to read this next one? Sure. Ben and Nathan, thanks so much for getting back to me. Uh, I don't remember what this was about, but anyways, I think I'm going to take your advice and take the test earlier. The only reason I had thought June was a good time was because I'm on the debate team and the season is really busy and time intensive from basically August until March. Uh, I blah, blah, blah. Oh, he has a, he has some tournament in September, so he can't take it then, but I should still be able to study a lot this summer, do a section most days during the semester. And there's a small break between Thanksgiving and the start of the second semester, which should give me a couple weeks to be doing nothing but thinking LSAT Uh before the December LSAT. Um, okay. So wait, I'm Oh, okay. I'm remembering. Did we read Henry's email on the podcast before? Probably. Sounds like maybe we did. Maybe we did. So I think what, what, what it was, was if I remember correctly, he was planning to take it like within like a couple of years or something like that, right? Like he was a sophomore, I think. Anyways, and now he's going to take it earlier. So instead of taking it in a couple of years, he's going to take it in December. Oh, okay. Which is still... uh a little ways off, but I guess he can't do it in September. So I wanted to thank you guys for exposing me to a lot of the myths that pervade pre-law advising. I don't have a pre-law advisor per se, but when I was talking with my advisor this morning, he was spewing a bunch of bullshit that I that only knew was bullshit because of the podcast. <laughs> Great. That includes the LSAT isn't really a learnable test. <laughs> oh, lovely. Quote, nobody takes retakes the LSAT. <laughs> yeah, this is this is good bullshit. Uh, quote, course difficulty is more important than GPA. Okay. Uh, quote, legal research and internships are critical. Oh wow. And a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, this is that's pretty yeah. bad. That's like everything this person is saying is wrong. Well, that's great in, yeah. in some ways, right? If you're a podcast listener and you get these things all right and you know that everyone else is getting this stuff all wrong, then they can be going off in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, they, that's sort of cynical. But um, hey, you know, the world is competitive. Anyways. Especially the legal world is competitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the, ro- that's the road you're going down, you know. You're, you're entering a zero-sum game. So – yeah, you sh- you should be happy when your opponents uh, lose. Yeah. So he says, so thanks again for your advice on this particular issue and training my ear to shift through all the advice I'm given. Um, did you you had something you had said about this, right? This this advice. Well, we were e- <laughs> we were emailing with Henry and something about someone someone said something about pearls of wisdom. Oh yeah, yeah. Because these are these are some these are some, per, but they're not pearls of wisdom. These are turds of wisdom. Yeah. I was pretty proud of that phrase, turds of wisdom. Yeah. So they, these are, yeah. The LSAT isn't really a learnable test. Wow, that's a big turd of wisdom. Well, and not only because we say that and we think that we're all right and all that stuff, but like that is seriously backed up by study after study after study. Well. The idea that that is wrong is backed up by study after study after study. So whoever is saying this is just completely ignorant. Yeah, I mean, and anecdotally, but it's a large anecdote. I've had thousands of students now yeah. 
everybody improves. I mean, everybody improves. Like the only way to not improve is to don't just don't do the work. Mm -hmm. But off of your, your first practice test, you are going to score higher. There's just no way you're not going to score higher. It's learnable in a million different ways. Yeah. So the, yeah, when, when your advisor, your college advisor or whatever pre-law advisor starts saying that the LSAT isn't learnable or that nobody can improve their score when they retake it, um, you can go ahead and just discount that and heavily discount everything else they're going to say. Cause they are, they are saying things they don't understand. Yeah. That's probably, it's very common. You say, Oh, I'm sorry. My next class is starting soon. I gotta get going. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry to like shit on all of the pre-law advisors out there and there are great pre-law advisors out there, but they're, they aren't specifically trained in the LSAT. They have no real experience with the LSAT. They just say a lot of myths and things that aren't true, but uh, no, the test is, is learnable a lot. Like people improve by 10 points or more, which is a life changing amount of improvement. So that's tragic if you're a pre-law advisor. I'm I'm like especially like aggro about bad advising because I got really, really bad advising at my high school. Wait, I'm sorry. You said you're especially aggro? Yes. Aggravated? Is that what you mean by that? Aggressive. Oh, okay. Aggravated. Yeah. I, I'm, I have a lot of aggression. Is that like a social bad. media term that I'm unfamiliar with as I remain? You're just an old man. As man. I remain off the grid? <laughs> 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 um it's probably more like a uh gaming nerd term aggro um i just had i had to look up uh irl the other day i was like irl what the hell does this mean now man <laughs> one more thing i gotta <laughs> look up uh-huh. anyways yeah sorry um i got i got horrible advice from my high school counselor like my college advisor in high school yeah gave me just epically bad advice mm-hmm. like don't bother applying to stanford because we had someone from our school get into stanford last year and they never admit a student <laughs> two years in a row <laughs> seriously sorry. sorry you're good you're really good but uh we already took some guy from your school last year so we're good we're yeah right. meanwhile that that was the advice that was given to the guy with the highest sat score like you know, in recent memory at the school, but it was just like, Oh no, don't even bother. Cause what's his name last year got into Stanford. So you're not getting into Stanford this year. And so there was that advice. There was also the advice to apply undeclared to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Undeclared. Which, what does that mean? Like not declaring a major, just apply undecided, undeclared, whatever. Um, and that school does not allow you to apply undeclared or undecided. So that was the only school I did not get into. Uh, of all the schools I applied to, that was the only school I didn't Wait, get into. You're, you're talking about advice from someone who was advising you on how to get into undergrad. Yes. In high yeah. School. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. My college advisor. You have a history, uh, not just pre-law, but pre-college advice. Well, I never it's, got any pre-law advice. This is just uh, only uh, pre-college advice. But sorry. anyway, sorry. It's a bad no, story. No, no, no. I was, I was not paying close enough attention. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, the point is I'm tuned into people getting bad advice from people who are supposedly giving them, you know, solid advice. Yeah. And so it really does like set me off when I hear a pre-law advisor giving that bad of advice. That's terrible. Um, you know, you might want to tune your uh, pre-law advisor into the thinking LSAT podcast so that they can get, uh, 
solid information <laughs> about the LSAT. Dude, that just gave me a great idea. We should have like every episode, we should have a little like, you know, game show sort of thing where we, we say some advice very confidently and then the listeners have to decide, is this good advice? Or is this, is this a pearl of wisdom or is this a turd of wisdom? No, no. <laughs> you know, and then there's like this moment of silence and they're sort of thinking like, oh no, I don't know. Is it good or bad? And then we tell them. <laughs> That's a great plan. I like that. It probably will never be implemented, but if it does, we can say thanks, Henry. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So enough ranting about bad advising. There's a lot of good advisors out there. and uh, By a lot, you mean more the, than one. By a lot, I mean not Henry's, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, it seems like everything that Henry's advisor is saying is the exact opposite of what's true. Yeah, that's scary. Yep. So then yep. Hen- yep. Henry says, P.S. Also. Not to keep milking you guys for free advice. Yeah, it's enough, buddy. We're moving on. (laughs) How old is too old for practicing with old LSATs? I definitely like the approach of just doing as many practice sections as possible rather than reading someone talk about it. But has the test changed to the extent that some of the earlier tests don't reflect the test anymore? Uh, I would say yes and no. I mean... I. I don't think most people have the time to go through all the tests. So generally I'm encouraging people to focus on t- tests 52 and up. Test 52 is the September 2007 LSAT. That said, I give a lot of people super hard questions from the older tests. If they're looking for more work, you might as well cherry pick the hard ones to work on those. If you're struggling with something, I think, um, you go back a little bit further though. No, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind if people go back farther. It, it's the test has evolved very slowly over time. Um, it's, you know, there are games, even the oldest tests have games that look exactly like some of the games these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logical reasoning questions. There are certainly logical reasoning questions that look exactly the same reading comprehension stuff that looks exactly the same. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say how much time do you have and how many tests are you really going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't don't so, start a test one and then yeah, get to test 15 and do say, do oh, well, I only have three weeks left, so I guess I better do test 74 now. Yeah, and then discover yeah that that's silly. It's a lot harder. Um, well, not I mean, some parts are hard. I think the reading comp is, is harder now. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I would say just focus on the most recent ones, but if you have a book of old tests or whatever, that's, that's totally fine. I mean, especially you could just grind your way through the games and some of the, some of the game stuff, there, there are going to be principles that you can use that are identical to the principles that you can use today on some of those old games. Sure. Well, in some of the old games, because they're weird, right? Some of them we haven't seen since they were created back then can be good practice on, getting used to dealing with stuff you're not familiar with, right? Taking a, yeah, t- I would, taking a deep breath and just figuring it out. I would do the games from, from prep test one before I would do like Sudoku or something like yeah, that. Right. For sure. I mean, yeah. If you're going to do any, if you're going to do LSAT prep, you should be working on real LSAT questions. Yep. So those old tests are definitely worth something. They, they don't have 
zero or negative value. They have positive value, and it's just a matter of how much time you have. I'm going to use a very illegal word because I think that it's apt for this situation. Mm, can't wait. There's such a corpus of text, <laughs> of tests <laughs> that are official that, yeah, you can't run out of material. Corpus. That's a good one. Yeah. You know what's another good word? Yeah, go for it. Corpulent. Whoa. What's that mean? Is that fat? Fat. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So corp- it sounds like they probably come yeah. from the same root, right? Of course. Yeah. Corp- cor- I mean, it's got to be body, mm-hmm. right? Corpus, corpse, corp- corpulous. Wait, is that what I said? Corpulent. No, corp. I think you. Shit. Now I confused myself. I don't know what you said now. I think I said corpulent. Yeah. It means obesity. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, okay, so that's it for that one? Yep. Cool. Um, oh, yeah, this is a quick one. Uh, hey, Ben and Nathan, quick question. I've been studying the LSAT and believe, in part because you guys have supported it in the past, that working with others studying for the test can offer value. Wait, hold on. He yeah. says, I believe. I believe that working with others can offer value. So here's the, here we can do the the quiz. Is studying for others good advice or bad advice? Studying with others? Oh, yeah. Good what or bad? Did I say? Is that a pearl of wisdom or is that a turd of wisdom? <laughs> we'll give you 60 seconds. <laughs> Play along at home. No, we won't. We'll give you six seconds. Um, it's obviously good advice, yes. yes. Studying with other people is very, very helpful. Um, it doesn't matter even if they're way below your level you will benefit a lot from teaching them. If they're above your level, then they'll be able to explain things to you. If they're right at your level, then you'll probably have a little mix of sometimes you'll, you'll know it and sometimes they'll know it Yeah, and you can help each other a lot. Also, you know, it can be definitely motivating and um, more fun to get together for coffee or a beer once a week yeah. and um, talk about the test. Mm-hmm. It can be a little lonely just uh, trying to grind it out by yourself. So uh, study partners are yeah, strongly encouraged. But then we get, uh, my question is I have a bank of many PDF prep tests. Can I legally share and distribute these prep tests with others? So we have a common problem set for practice review and discussion. I would share only a single paper copy of a given test. And of course, wouldn't be making any money from such sharing. Uh, many thanks, Perry Mason. Uh, we got a no quick answer to no, that. You yeah. can't legally yeah. share them with other people. No, you can't. Yeah. And the copies that you have, the PDFs that you have should have a big disclaimer on there saying that you're not allowed to distribute uh, or copy or in in any way. And it doesn't matter if you're making money off of it or not. Um, Of course, you know, what would the LSAC have to do to find out about this distribution and come after you and sue you? Um, It it would be a lot. It's a little bit far-fetched that that's going to actually happen with you and your study partner <laughs> right yeah uh, a test I mean, I a don't... test company that shall remain nameless would be more likely to go after you than lsac i think yeah, yeah right exactly um so yeah i i, I don't know i think probably it, it's you know it, is it a moral issue it's technically illegal but driving 56 miles an hour is also technically illegal um 
yeah, we, we can't condone it. Of course, uh, Ben and I both have, uh, each have licenses to print LSAT tests for our students and we have to be very careful, like walking on eggshells all the time around the LSAC for fear that they will strip our license. So we have to be super careful about distribution of tests. And that's why when people email us and ask us for tests, we have to always say no. Yeah. Um, you'll get tests as part of the class, but then I'll also pay a gigantic fee to the LSAC at the end of the year. Yep. Um, you do not have a license to distribute these tests. And so, yeah, you are technically not allowed to, now you're not going to go to prison for it. Um, what would happen? They would, I guess the only LSAC would have to, they would start by sending a letter and tell you to cease and desist. Yeah. Then they would have to go get a court order somehow right? They would have to sue or get a, I, I would think they would have to probably sue you. Yeah. Well, they might tell you to stop and they might, I mean, if they were savvy about it, they'd ask you to pay a certain amount because <laughs> the reality is that I don't think they would pursue it. It's not worth the cost of litigation. Yeah. So their right. only hope is to, at the very least, have you stop and beyond that, hope that you pay for what you've done, that would be cheaper than actually trying to pursue it and get you to pay it yourself in the time and yeah. effort and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in reality, I think people are sharing this stuff all the time. I mean, I remember one of my, uh, just a long time ago, I remember a student sending out like just bombing an email with like every PDF of every test to, to like his study group. And I was like, Whoa, you are not allowed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I am not, I cannot condone any of that type of thing that is, you know, you have to stop. And I've never let people like use my class Google group or anything like that. You definitely can't distribute it via me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But people have these PDFs and they do in reality get distributed around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't do it. They, you can buy the books for 20 bucks on Amazon and then you get a, they print it for you and everything. Yeah. So I would just buy the books. Cool. Okay, cool. All right. Um, you want to do the next one? Sure. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Hope all is well. Love the podcast. It's a bit of a text wall below. So here's the TLDR. Should I, should I time my sections using 35 minutes or the time and a half that I think that I'll be allowed? Time and a half. Short answer. Time and a half. Yeah. Practice the way you're going to play because you're going to play like you practice. Uh, should we keep going? <laughs> no, I don't think okay. we should. I mean, well, we could get into the moral quandary that this whole thing uh, presents because it is pretty crazy. Um, so here's the deal. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, this this uh, this correspondent Ryan it says. In case this reaches the podcast, feel free to use my first name, Ryan. So thanks, Ryan, for writing in. Um, Ryan is. Uh, it says Ryan was approved for and used accommodations on the SAT. And that means, right, he's going to get automatically accommodated for the LSAT. Yep. He doesn't know until he registers for the test and actually applies for the accommodations. Uh, He's shooting for the September test. And Ryan, you should register and 
submit your application for accommodations right away so that you can get the confirmation that you are getting accommodations. And then you should immediately start giving yourself uh, the full 53 minutes for each section. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, (laughs) the moral quandary is for the logic games, I'm already getting zero, uh, to minus two within the 35 minutes. (laughs) Okay. So now he's going to get accommodations. So he will get guaranteed minus zero. Yeah. A hundred percent in the games, but his, his issue is with reading comprehension. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I'm slower at LR and RC. It doesn't say how slow. Um, I just got to tell you from, even from the grammar in this email. Yeah. Do you notice that it doesn't really have spelling mistakes? Yeah. Do you notice that the commas are well-placed? The commas are well-placed. The punctuation on the whole is correct. There is a double period at one point, but, um, anyway, Ryan is like going to be, Ryan's going to be an elite scorer. Yeah. I can tell by the email. Ryan's going to score like 170 something. So that's, that's the moral quandary. That's what you're saying. Is it not? Yeah. Should Ryan get this? Yeah. And I mean, I, I have no idea, you know, his specific, sorry, it's an, it's an auditory processing disorder, which amounts to difficulties with reading comprehension. Um, sure. Yeah, that's great. And you're going to get like a 99th percentile score on the LSAT, um, with your extra time, which is great for you. And if you, as long as you can sleep at night, I think you should absolutely take advantage of that. Uh, but I do also think that we have like the, uh, we've talked about it a lot on the show, the, uh, a com apocalypse. Yeah. And, um, it's just, <clears throat> it's just very difficult to see how this is in any real sense fair. I don't know. I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. And Hey Ryan, not to make any assumptions about your background, but I think for most people, it's fair to assume that if you got accommodations, especially in high school, um, you come from a background where you have more money. I'd bet money. I'd bet, I'd bet a lot of money. I would, I mean, I wouldn't be right every time, but I would bet money that Ryan is white. I would also bet money that Ryan is from a, you know, from reasonable means. Mm-hmm. I bet he went to a better than average high school. Mm-hmm. I bet he went to a better than average grammar school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, I, I, I just, I don't, I feel like test testing accommodations is something that, uh, how do we say this? A wealthier neighborhoods, <laughs> wealthier school districts, high performing schools are talking about concerned about their looking for that in kids when they're very young any sort of discrepancy in learning is like tried to you know dissected and categorized as some sort of uh learning disability which it may be i'm not saying that it's not but that's not something that's happening in a lot of uh middle or lower income schools that they don't i my sense is is that they are not necessarily um Maybe they don't have the resources for that. I don't know. But it's just – it's not to say that it doesn't happen there, but – You have to go to special doctors. You have to be paying attention. Mom and dad have to be tuned in. The school has to be tuned in. And, you know, you're taking the kid to this 
to the special doctor. The special doctor is going to be, you know, it's not, this isn't like, um, this isn't asthma or like, you know, actual, like, uh, not actual, I'm going to get hate mail, but (laughs) (laughs) I, I, let's listen, I have the best of intentions here. Okay. So everybody can just, just, just save it. Just keep it, keep it to yourself. If you want to criticize me for this, because I'm, it's something that I think about a lot and I don't have an answer, but I do know that rich kids get accommodated, at least anecdotally in my experience, it's the richest and highest scoring kids that get accommodated. Yeah. And there's a, there's a strong correlation. (laughs) Yeah. If you take the, what, 10 people that I've ever seen score 175. Yeah. Like half of them did that with accommodations. Yeah. So yeah. So is, are, are we, if you want to call that leveling the playing field, by all means, I wouldn't call that leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think getting back to Ryan, I mean, gosh, I wouldn't have a problem sleeping at night. No. I would take advantage of every um, advantage that you can take advantage of. Yeah. <laughs> it's the system and the rich are going to get richer. That's, that's never going to not be the case that the rich are getting richer. And yeah, you have, you have some privilege and you should just go ahead and take advantage of that privilege. You can, you can be a good person and you can give back in a million different ways. But, um, yeah, if, if they're going to give you 53 minutes, you should just go ahead and get 53 minutes and score your 170 something. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I would take the moral high ground on, on that. Um, although it does make me, you know, it's like, Hey, you want to, uh, you want to train, you like want your kid to go to law school. You want your kid to get a full ride, um, to, you know, you want your kid to go to, go to Harvard. Um, yeah. Start getting them accommodations when they're like in junior high so that they get accommodations for the SAT so that they get the automatic accommodations for the LSAT. And, um, yeah, hopefully you're not doing too much damage to them along the way by, by convincing them that they have some some difference. And by the way, Ryan, I'm not saying you don't actually have this processing disorder. I believe you that you have an auditory processing disorder. I don't know what that is, but I believe you. Um, it's just that the accommodation is like overpowered, you know? Yeah. It's, it's too much of an accommodation. They don't have a, they don't have a way of tailoring it. Of course that adds complexity and people would cry unfairness there too. But, um, in this case, if it's a reading dis, uh, disability, then it seems like he should get accommodations in the reading section, but not in the other sections. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he and I guess he doesn't even really need it on the games, but he is going to be able to roll in. Boy, if you have 53 minutes, I mean, so many Wait. of my students would be able to score perfectly on the games. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Here's another, here, going back to your advice, you were saying, Hey, look, if you want your kids to do well, uh, one other thing is even if you can't get them accommodations, hold them back a grade. Now that might sound, um, cruel or <laughs> demoting, but no, that's the Malcolm is, Gladwell thing. That's the Malcolm Gladwell thing. And it's, it's so, so true. That's um, just obviously correct. That, yeah. that's one of the best Gladwell things I ever read was the, uh, the thing about in a, NHL hockey. Yeah. That was amazing how the, the birthdays and everything, how people like they were like overwhelming NHL stars were overwhelmingly born in like two or three months of the year. 
or, or yeah. way overweighted in the two or three months of the year. And it was because of Canada's system of junior hockey where they would rank people, it, the older kids when you're five and you're born in like, if you're, if you're almost six instead of like barely five, mm-hmm. you then become like a monster on the ice because you're just, a, you're basically a year you're, older. Yeah. You're, you're 10 months older than the youngest one. And at age five, that's huge. Yeah. You're bigger, stronger, <laughs> smarter, faster, everything yeah. about, and then they have this whole system of you play your way onto these all-star teams and the all-star teams get extra coaching, extra time on the time. ice, extra yep. attention. Uh, your parents are like, wow, you're pretty good. Pats on the money into this. Yeah, yeah. You start to think that you're good, right? Your parents are buying you equipment, coaching and all that shit. And, uh, yeah. And so because of that system, uh, next thing you know, NHL is like, yeah, you're twice as likely to be in the NHL if you were born in December than if you were born in like June or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just and, insane. And that, was, that was for high, hockey, but I mean, he went through so many other things, right? You, you take a look at math scores, you take a look yeah. at anything in the school system and you look at the, the cutoff dates and it's different around the country, which actually adds for a little bit different, I think, um, adds for... Uh, makes it easy to study, right? You say, oh, yeah. so really, this isn't something that's arbitrary. Look, this <laughs> you change that cutoff date, and all of a sudden, that's the cutoff date for uh, success. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so if you hold your kids back one year, then yeah. all of a sudden, they do awesome at everything compared to their peers, and just like all human beings, they then compare themselves to their peers, think that they're awesome, which is honestly half the battle, right? Like if you yeah. think you're good at math, then you'll be good at math. Well, the teachers you think, think you're, you're good, good too. They, they aren't thinking – they aren't like looking into it very deeply. They just know who their best readers are and they know who their yeah. best at math are. And if you, by virtue of being a year older, have better abilities, then you're going to get in – you're just be in the top of the class and the teacher pays more attention to you and gives you more positive feedback and you <laughs> – yeah. All kinds of good stuff happens. Yeah. Uh, if I had kids, I would hold them back like five years. Five years? Like 10. What, Billy 10. Madison here? <laughs> They'd be like dunking on people on the playground, <laughs> beating everyone up. Yeah, I think at that point they might have like a complex, you know? There wouldn't be like my dad Seriously, could beat you up. Seriously, something wrong with me. It would be like, no, I could beat you up. I'm like, <laughs> look at you. I'm twice as tall as you because I'm 10 years older than you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, is that good for Ryan? Yeah, I think so. Thanks, think Ryan. And I really, more than he bargained for. Sorry, Ryan. Thanks. Yeah, I got it. I I want to apologize. I I'm I am really trying to be a good person, and I do not want to be insensitive about this issue. And I I don't know what the correct answer is. I just know that we are in a weird, sticky situation, and so it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. We'll we will obviously keep talking about it, but I uh, if I hurt your feelings. Uh, not Ryan specifically, but if I hurt anybody's feelings out there, um, I, I do apologize. It's not my intention at all. I'm just, <clears throat> I don't know where this situation is going to, where we're going to land on this whole thing. Well, yeah. Sorry. Last comment on this. I mean, just as you were talking, I was thinking about anecdotal evidence that I have of people who have come to me and said, Hey, I think I have a learning disability should I apply for accommodations? And I'm telling them, yes, you should. And they're saying, okay, I looked into it. I'm going to have to pay $2,000 to go get this test because I think I have this learning disability, but no one ever diagnosed it in, in, you know, in me in the past. And so now I've got to fork out this cash and go do this. And my parents are saying, you know, like, 
hey, you're on your own now, and you yeah. know that's your choice if you want to do that. And most people don't have an extra two thousand dollars sitting around to go do this test. And and then there's this risk of I do the test and it comes back negative, or I do the test and maybe the doctor says something, but that's not something that LSAC will accommodate. And so a lot of times, and grant, granted this is anecdotal, but a lot of times they're just like, yeah, forget it. I'll just I'll just take the test. And you know, in that case, it might be for the best. Like sometimes you just have to sort of decide what you can change and what you can't, and then just press forward and do the best with what you've got. But that is hard evidence that money is standing in the way of accommodations. Yeah, yeah that two thousand dollars is not going to stop all the rich white folks from from doing that, right? I mean, that, that's nothing to them. Not only that they already had it done while they were in high school or junior high or something, but even if they hadn't, that $2,000, when your mom and dad are already lawyers, that $2,000 is nothing. Mm -hmm. And so you just roll in there and get your accommodation. And, you know, I always hear like, well, you can't fake this stuff. You know, it has to be, it's, it's not, it's, it's the testing is very rigorous. And by rigorous, I think a lot of times they mean expensive and time consuming. Um, but yeah, even I, fine. I believe you. I'm not saying that the ailment doesn't exist. No, no. The results are real. We're not disagreeing (laughs) with that. It's that the people who should also get them are not. Yeah. The distribution of how this accommodation, how these accommodations are, are doled out is not fair just because people don't even know that they don't even know that there, these issues exist. Yeah. They just think, oh, this is hard stuff for me to work with. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or if they, right. And that, that all also goes back to the like privilege of being white and privilege of being wealthy. Right. Like when you're a rich white kid, you do bad on a test and you immediately think, oh boy, there must be some like medical issue. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you're like not of those same means or the same um, socioeconomic background, you do poorly on a test and you go, oh yeah, well people like me don't do well on tests. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's common. Yep. Okay. Well, we might set the new record for most hate mail received. Actually, that's not true. We haven't really gotten hate mail, have we? No, but we do. I do know that the last time we talked about this, the the people wrote us and said that their emotions were running high. So, <laughs> oops. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if they were necessarily disagreeing with us. Okay. I think yeah. they were just frustrated about the situation. Right? Yeah, it's the a situation weird situation. It's it's just very hard. It's a it's a it's like something that would be debated endlessly in law school. Yep. Um okay. Next one. Yep. Do you want me to read it? Uh yeah. Okay. Hey guys. Please don't use my real name, Smiley Face. So we'll call you Smiley M. Okay. I'm looking to take the LSAT, hopefully in September, but I have just started studying so that it might be pushed back. Hmm, really? September's a long way away. Right now it's uh, May. Yeah, people overestimate how much time it should take. If you started right now, you would have time easily to be ready by September. Yep. Uh, just a little bit about my background. I majored in quantitative economics and math at the University of Colorado, Colorado, Colorado Boulder. I don't okay, know why so I can't say that. I want to double down on my, you definitely have time to get ready for September test. Yeah, I would agree. Are you going to say this because of the quantitative economics yes. and math? Yes. yes, for sure. I don't know if it's correlation or causation, but I would imagine it's a little bit of a mix of both. But by doing that, you have prepared your mind for this test. 
Yeah, people just studying anything that gets closer to hard science. Um, yep. So economics, math, especially quantitative economics. I imagine that he was like taking econometrics and oh yeah, you know, maybe sure. probably took had to take some statistics and probably had to take some computer programming. And I think you are going to take to the LSAT quite quite well. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't drag this on forever. I would start studying a little bit every day right now. And I would knock it out of the park in September. Yeah. Uh, physics, math, econ. Electrical engineering, computer science. Engineering. Yeah. Any STEM. engineering. <clears throat> yep. That's that's a good sign for you. And this is backed up by studies. They've shown that these people tend to do better on the LSAT. Anyways, long story short, I had some health issues and very a very hard time adjusting to college life my freshman year and ended up changing my major from chemical engineering <laughs> – yet another hard mm-hmm. major, to economics. And, be, and because of that, my GPA is much lower than I would like. My major GPA is 3.5, but my cumulative GPA was 3.1 because of a 2.0 GPA for my freshman year. First of all, this is very common, and I don't think it's a problem. I think what law schools are interested in is who you are now, not who you were four years ago or five years ago, wherever, you know, whenever you're applying. And so if you can show grade improvement, um, yeah, sure, they're going to get the 3.1. But once you get in the door, they're going to see that you ended much higher. And that's going to be who you are and where you're at and what you're going to come to when you arrive at their school. Yeah. So, so anyways. Yep, absolutely. I've taken only one full-length time practice test and scored a 151, which was without any studying. It's a pretty good starting score. I know it's not the best right now, but I do think that I will improve once I start studying for sure. Yeah. People think that's a bad starting score. That's like a great starting score. You show me a 151, especially, okay, you majored in economics and you scored a 151 without any study, without any studying at all. Yeah. That's a, that's a home run. That's, you are in great shape. Like 160, high 160s is easily within range. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if you score 170. Yeah. So yeah, 151. I mean, that's like almost the average of all LSAT, like final LSAT scores. Yep. So you are starting in the middle of the pack and with, that's with zero prep, you're in the middle of the pack. You can definitely differentiate yourself with a 165 or higher. If it's any help, uh, as a reference, I started with a 153. Wow. Okay. So, uh, my main question is regarding my GPA. Is it a good idea to take some additional classes to bring up my GPA to submit to law schools or will it make no difference because they only look at your transcript from the school you graduated from? Uh, yeah, actually, I think they only look at the transcript from the school you graduate from. I mean, they will see the transcripts for other schools, but it won't factor into that initial like assessment, right? They're just going to look at your undergraduate GPA. Yeah, once you graduate, they you're you're locked in. Yeah, so it would only be a soft factor, and it's such a small thing that. I would not do it at all. I would focus 100% on the LSAT. One more point on your LSAT is going to have much more of an impact uh, than yeah th- one, these grades. Do not do absolutely do not take additional classes. You spend that time, money, r- energy on the LSAT. That we've said this a lot. I mean, I, I do think that um, Smiley 
wants to write an addendum to point mm. the committee's attention to the fact that he had a 2.0 GPA in his freshman year with chemical engineering, and then he switched to economics, and he ended up with this much stronger GPA of 3.5 in economics. Yeah. And so it's just quick. It's like one paragraph, like, hey, you know, notice my increasing grade trend, basically, uh, as an addendum. Oh, plus he said he had some health issues. If those are legit health issues, then say what they are and like get them out there. If they're not, then then don't mention them. But- yeah, don't muddy the waters too much. I mean, I, I like the idea of picking one one excuse <laughs> rather than giving yeah. all ten excuses because it just gets complicated. I yeah, mean, pick the best one if there is one. <laughs> that's what I would do. Yeah, you want to keep it simple for them. You know, you want to make your lies believable. So don't, ha- don't pile up. <laughs> it could be true. No, <laughs> I'm sure it's all true, but it starts to sound like lies when you have 10 excuses. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah. I had headaches and I couldn't sleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so pick, pick an excuse. I mean, the, especially because the switch from chemical engineering to economics is like just such a very, like that happens. People start in their freshman year with a overly aggressive major. They realize it's not what they hoped it would be. They switch to something that's more suitable to them or that they're more interested in and they do much, much better. That's super common. And all you have to do is just point the committee's attention to the fact that that's what happened to you. Um, But uh, all that said, there's one thing that's going to really bring that home to the committee and make them actually believe you. And that is? A big... A big LSAT score. Oh, <laughs> no, big, no, no. No, what? no. It, it, go back here. I think we read it earlier. It's um, legal research and internships are critical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a turd of wisdom right there. Turd of wisdom. Um, yeah. No. If you, if you show them your, you know, your 2.0 in chemical engineering and then you – you got it all the way up to a 3.5 in economics, but then you show them your 155 LSAT score. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, eh, all right. That's a 3.1 and a 155. Yeah. But if you show them your 3.1 and your 170 LSAT score, mm-hmm. and then you say, hey, you know, I was a chemical engineering major and I changed to economics. I did much better in economics. And then they look at your 170. Then they go, oh, shit. Like, yeah, <laughs> we should we should think about this three point. Maybe this guy is much more of a three point five than a three point one, because this LSAT score he just did that, and this two point from his freshman year is a long time ago. And cognitively, you know, we believe you that you have the capacity because you can't fake that one seventy. So uh, that's all I would say to to Smiley is just like yeah, write an addendum, but also show them a big LSAT score to really drive the point home. Yep. Um, and when, again, when you start with a 151, um, the sky really is the limit there. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Smiley made it to 170. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. And don't bother taking additional classes postgraduate. That makes no sense. One more LSAT point, like Ben said. Yep. Uh, Hey, Nathan and Ben. Love the podcast. I started listening months ago when I was first thinking about law school. And before I knew it, I'd managed to plow my way through every episode. Wow. 
Despite your best efforts, I'm even more set on law school than I was at the beginning, but I appreciate the straight talk on the dangers and downsides. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, if you made it through the gauntlet of 90 (laughs) episodes of me and Ben, of us just yelling at you about how law school sucks and legal careers suck, then yeah, you know, maybe you are, you're one of the rare ones where this is like, it's really, this is the right path for you. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had really wanted to take this June LSAT so I could apply early in September, but I had a surprisingly tough semester in grad school, so I haven't had enough time to study. My plan right now is to take an LSAT course this summer and prep for the September test, but there's a catch. I'm starting a second one-year master's in London next year, so I will have to take the test over there. Unfortunately, I'll also be stuck taking the test a few days after a transatlantic red-eye flight, and I won't have settled into London yet. I'll probably be staying at an Airbnb or something. So a few questions for you. Uh, I already don't, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, this is like a good point. This is like a, this is exactly why it sucks so bad that the LSAT's only offered four times a year. Cause people yeah. end up doing crazy shit like this. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's a few questions for you. One. Any word on how different it will be taking the LSAT at a foreign testing site, specifically in London? I don't think London would be any different than here. Do you? Um, So I had a student who took it while she was in grad school at Oxford. Okay. And the one funny thing that I remember specifically is that she was taking the test in like a castle. Whoa. And they have those? And there was, I, mean, a, I guess they have those, but they use them. <laughs> there was a mouse in her room, in the room that she was taking the LSAT. There was a mouse. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's the one, <laughs> that's the one story I know about taking the LSAT in London. <laughs> so, or actually maybe that wasn't in London. Maybe that was in somewhere else in England, but anyway, the, um, the people won't let us take these down. We must use them for something. Let's use them for the LSAT. <laughs> that's your British accent. I don't know what it is. It's an administrator who's frustrating okay. with these archaic castles. I would speculate that there's going to be less people taking the test with you. Uh, yeah. That's just a guess. Depends on how many sites they have. And how I, don't know. I was thinking have. about that. And I was thinking, yeah, because in London, they, I mean, there's a lot of people. So you still might end up having a decent sized group, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Otherwise it's just, it's going to be the LSAT. I wouldn't make too much of it. I don't, I don't think it's going to be any different. It's uh, what is that? That's going to be prep test 82. The September LSAT is prep test 82. Yeah. And you've, you're going to have done prep tests, you know, 60 through 81 before you sit for that test, hopefully. And when you sit for prep test 82, it's going to be just another LSAT. And I don't know why it would have to be any different at all. Yeah. Um, second question, any ideas on how best to prepare myself for the test after a long flight before I've totally settled in to a new city, probably have four to five days between landing and test day. Oh, that's not so bad. For some reason I had the impression that it like was the like, day before. Yeah. Like land, like that would, that'd be hard. Uh, just make sure to get some sleep, get caught up, get caught up on your sleep so you can be focused. Yeah. Get some fresh air, uh, get some exercise, uh, get some sleep. Um, four to five days. That's, that's, that's plenty. You can, you can get over it. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for jet lag. I always feel like 
yeah, whatever. Stay up late one night, maybe sleep a little extra the next day. Get get over it. How hard is it? I don't know. I used to I used to feel that way, but then I, I read some research about it. I guess it it really does sort of mess with you. Really? Yeah. I guess I, so. I, I haven't fl- flown that far that often, but I maybe maybe I'm immune. Can you be immune to jet lag? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. There's okay. always outliers. Okay. Well, I'm now I'm insensitive also to people who have bad jet lag. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It you know this isn't breaking rocks. The LSAT mm. is a half a day test where you're going to be sitting in a chair doing some mental exercises. Um, it's not agricultural labor and <laughs> breaking rocks. Well, it's not. It's just people <laughs> act like I'm, I don't like hearing people like whining and complaining about how, how taxing this whole thing is. It's, mm. it's not taxing. I don't know. You where tell me about your grandparents, Ben, where did your grandparents come from? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, were you created in a lab? No, actually. Okay. Hold on. I I do know. And now I'm like thinking this should be, that should have been faster in my mind, but, um, I I was created in a lab and I have to make up this story. Uh, no. So my grandparents actually owned a farm in Idaho up in the panhandle. Yeah. And, um, they have since passed away, but we are going there this summer because the, family my dad is the is it like executor or the who's the person who takes over the estate after it's that sounds right executor of the will or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he's he's finally decided to sell the farm okay because it's it's kind of a pain to it's in idaho yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so we're gonna go up there and check it out but yeah i mean they were farmers so (laughs) they did (laughs) break rocks Dude, farming is so hard. Farming is so much work. It's insane. I grew up in like a little farm town and my grandparents were, you know, like agricultural laborers. Um, my mom's dad had an almond orchard and my dad's dad came from Oklahoma when he was in fifth grade with, you know, no education, no money, no nothing. Just came out to California, like from the Dust Bowl, like Grapes of Wrath style to okay. find to find work, to just do any work, like picking cotton, picking peaches, just busting their ass. And both of my grandfathers, you know, are just like, well, one of them's alive, one of them's dead, but they were both just such hard workers and my grandmothers as well. I remember going out in the almond orchard with my grandma one day to rake almonds. You have to rake them into rows so that the machine can come by and pick them up. And I raked almonds with her for an hour and a half and I was like dying. I just, it was the most backbreaking, hot, dusty, just awful, you know? And, um, I feel like that's helped me in a lot of ways to have a bit of perspective sometime. Not, not that I'm not like whiny a lot, but you start thinking about the LSAT and how hard it is, how hard your life is. Yeah. I don't go very far down that road without thinking about my grandparents and even my parents, you know, they just, they they knew what actual work was like mm. <laughs> and hardship yeah. and so this you know look, like look at this email not to just mock this one that much but it's like oh i'm going for my second masters in london and i'm i have i'm going to be on a transcontinental flight and i'm not sure if my 4 to 5 days between landing and the day of the test is going to be <laughs> enough to recover 
It's just like, yeah, I think you're probably going to be all right. I don't. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. I think you're um, fine. I think so. <clears throat> pretty soon we're going to go into a post LSAT world, right? Once the GRE takes over and you and I will be looking for work, but I think we've already found it. You should have the Nathan Fox boot camp in California and people fly out and they, they rake almonds for like an hour and a half. And they go in and have some. Lemonade. Oh, absolutely! And then you yell at them. You can swear at them, and then they could say things like, "Oh, it's so hot out here," and you're like, "You don't even know what it's like." Well, it's uh- going to be awesome because <laughs> Trump's going to build the wall. So then California is no longer going to have anybody to to harvest anyway. Yeah, so yeah. so then I'll actually be able to charge a lot for to the farmers. So I'll be able to like you know pimp these LSAT kids out in the fields. They'll be so terrible, though. They'll be so soft and just, like, not good at working at all. But whatever. I'll just have a lot of them. And then they'll okay. just I'll send my crew out there into the fields. And then, yeah, I'll get paid. And then the kids will be paying me for the privilege. This is a great idea, Ben. This is a win all the way around. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, next question. Uh, any idea how taking the LSAT and applying from abroad will affect my application process. I'll be applying to the top 14 and a couple others like UCLA and Fordham. I don't think taking the LSAT in London has anything to do with anything. You're just going to get a score 120 to 180. So I don't think that has anything to do with anything. As far as applying from abroad, well, I mean, you're going to have a couple of, you're going to have a, a, mas- a foreign masters on your resume which make and, and your transcripts, which makes you you know, different, interesting, adding diversity mm-hmm. to the class. Yeah. I, it can't hurt you. It can only help you. How much is it going to help you? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe it for that email. Okay. Okay. Um, you want to read the next one? Oh, and yeah, Cody, I'm not calling you specifically soft. It's just kind of funny that LSAT students tend to get so like myopic about the process they think that the LSAT is like the you know be all end all hardest thing in the world but um, <laughs> it's not nearly as hard as uh, actual work and yeah. by the way it's also not nearly as hard as law school or the bar exam yeah all right hey guys my first diagnostic was a little over a month ago a month and a half ago and I scored a 162 Whoa. holy smokes yeah yeah that's really good and in the last three weeks I've been scoring in the in the 168 to 173 range all right, we're done with this email. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks for writing. Yeah, that's good to hear. While I only miss one to two questions per logical reasoning and reading comp, I'm usually only able to complete one, complete two to three of the games and only score from 13 to 18 correct in the game section. Typically what happens is I run into a game, either two or three, that throws me off, and I spend all my time on one or two questions that I just don't get. Then I don't even have time to start the fourth and sometimes third game. First of all, uh, Zach, I hope we can use your name, you're in a great place. Uh, The game section is the easiest one to improve. Um, And so all you have to do is improve that section, which will come – if by nothing else through just brute force doing tons of games over and over and over again until you understand them and get the process down, uh, you're set and you're already set, but you'll, you'll be set even more. So 
In any case, two questions. One, how would you approach studying for this section? I've already read the LG Bible, and I am currently doing a mix of full sections and single games timing myself in mm. addition to two full tests on the weekends. Two full tests on the weekends. Stop mm. doing two full tests. Yeah. Do a test and learn from it, and then go back to whatever you're doing, like 35-minute sections. Only do one or two at tops a day. I typically study two to three hours a day. Good. Okay. That's that's plenty. I think two to three hours a day is plenty uh, for someone in Zach's position. Uh, I would not be doing single games timed. I would only be doing full sections timed because single games timed is not a thing. It's just not part of the LSAT. Um, the, the LSAT is 35-minute chunks, so I would be doing 35-minute chunks. And yeah, I totally agree with Ben. I would not be doing two full tests on the weekends. That's way overkill. I guarantee that Zach is not reviewing fully all of his mistakes or he's not reviewing with the kind of quality that I would like to see. So let's cut that down to one full test a weekend or even every other weekend. I mean, you're just doing way too many full tests. So <clears throat> I don't have any problem with Zach timing single games as long as he's timing the having the timer go up to see how just to know how long it's taking them. But when it comes to the logical games Bible, I do take issue with that book because I think it focuses too much on negative rules. And mm. one of the things that I always tell people is when you're done setting up the rules, I go through three things. One, I look for floaters, variables okay. that were never mentioned. Two, I look for uh, negative rules that can be turned into positive rules. So, for example, if a rule says that H and L cannot be together in the same group, um, I try to think about what that means in terms of H and L. Uh, does that mean that they both have to be in these other two groups or something? Like, sometimes you can't turn negative rules into positive rules, but a lot of times you can. So, uh, another example of this would be like S and T cannot be together. Well, that means in an ordering game that S and T have to be at least one apart. And so sometimes I'll turn that negative rule into a positive rule so that I can like see the S and T are going to take up at least three spots. Okay. Uh, and so things like that. Whereas I feel like the logic games Bible focuses a lot on, Hey, you've been given a positive rule. Now tell me all the negative implications of that. And um, I guess I'm, I feel like positive rules uh, are much easier and faster to sort of process. Okay. And so that's one of the things I take issue with that book. I, I don't think it's like fundamentally bad. I just think that it's kind of pushing people in the wrong direction. The third thing uh, I suggest that people look for after they've looked for floaters, after they've tried to turn negative rules into positive rules to the extent that they can – uh, is to look for opportunities to create worlds. And we've talked about this before on the show, but yeah. those are things I don't feel like are as emphasized enough in the Bible and other things are emphasized. So I think that there could be something to his approach that he might be missing. Yeah. Um, I, I want to shape- agree mm. with that last thing. The The Bible does have like, uh, what do they call it? Uh, I think if I can remember what they call it. They call it uh, identifying the templates. Trade, mm-hmm. trademark or identifying trademark. the possibilities <laughs> trademark. Um, yeah, yeah. They, and they have a section on that in the LG Bible, but yeah, I don't think they make nearly enough of that. It's an extremely powerful tool. 
And they, I think that they should emphasize that much, much more than they actually do. I have students, like I was working with a one, a private uh, one-on-one student last night on Skype and she was like talking about the numerical distributions a lot. Yeah. Cause the Bible has like this whole chapter on the numerical distributions. Yeah. And those, she was like doing distributions on games where she should have been making worlds. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa, that distribution stuff. I mean, it can be powerful when it works, but it is, it's especially powerful when you realize that there's only two distributions and then you use that to make two worlds. Yeah. And she wasn't doing that step. So it's, yeah, the, the, the Bible, it's good. It's not going to hurt you. It's all real games in there. Um, so yeah, you could, you can do it, but it's not like the be all end all magic formula. I think there are better also power scores. Um, sequencing notation looks is just ridiculous. Those arrows are just stupid. Yeah. So (laughs) alligators. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't understand that at all. All right. Um, so then question number, so what, how would you approach studying for this section? Well, I would suggest continue doing time to 35 minute sections. I would say do single games. Um, I mean, I have a book of the, of the, of single games from older tests that tend to be harder. Uh, so if you were Zach taking a class with me, I would suggest uh, using that book. Unfortunately, maybe not, but if you're interested, let me know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to suggest? Yeah, just Zach's profile is a lot like mine when I started. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. started, I was already a GMAT teacher when I started studying for the LSAT. So I was crushing the LR and reading comprehension just right off the bat. I mean, I was missing, I was barely missing anything on LR and RC. Like, yeah, just like Zach says, you know, one or two here and there. Um, yeah. Zero, one or two per section. Yeah. And, but on games, yeah, I was like exactly the same. Like I would be pretty consistently able to do two and sometimes three and I wasn't missing questions. I mean, I was figuring them out, Yeah, but I was just running out of time. And so I was ending up with, yeah, something like 13 to 18 points on the game section. Um, I will tell you what I did, which was I only ever did 35 minute timed sections of real logic games. I did one or two sections a day timed. And when I would run out of time, then I would take all the time I, I needed to complete the section and work yeah. my way through it and frequently go back and look at game one and game two, because your problem is very frequently actually game one and game two. Like you think you did great there because you got them all right, but you, you might've missed an opportunity to do, to do it in half the time. So yeah. you could go back and look at game one, game two, see if there was anything that tripped you up. Like ask yourself, Hey, am I testing a lot of answer choices here? Cause if I'm testing a lot of answer choices, there's probably a better way. Um, but I just did. Yeah. I mean, I think I studied probably six days a week and I did a section or two. I got like, a, I got just a bunch of old tests and I did a section or two and reviewed it. And, uh, eventually it just clicked. So I, I think two or three hours a day is plenty. Yeah. And I think this is going to work out very, very well for Zach. Yeah. Question two, do you have mental strategies to keep calm and focused during the games? One of my problems is that I get angry. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. And anxious once I've learned how much time I've spent on a question. Oh. And then the whole section falls apart. I have that a suggestion. <laughs> Don't use a watch. <laughs> Stop looking at the watch, dude. Like, yeah. you're. oh, you're getting angry and anxious once you've learned how much time you've spent? Okay. Don't learn how much time you've spent. Set the 35-minute timer and put it across the room somewhere. And just that maybe then you will just calmly, carefully just work your way through the games and you won't. I mean, this is a clear, this it's pretty clear to me. He's, he's getting angry when he looks at the watch. So don't do that anymore. Yeah. He goes on, he says, should I plan on only spending a minute or two on a question mm-hmm. before I move on? See, I think this reflects just a, a broader misunderstanding of the, not only the game section, but the test as a whole. Whenever, um, you're stuck on a question in games. It probably doesn't have a whole lot to do with that question. It has more to do with your initial understanding of the game. Mm. And so um, to avoid getting angry and anxious uh, to related but different emotions that are negative, uh, slow down and spend more time up front doing those three things. Find floaters, try to turn negative rules into positive rules, and look for worlds by testing extremes, like saying, hey, how many different places could this thing go? Oh, it can only go in three different places. What if I created worlds on the basis of those three assumptions? How would this game work out? And maybe you shouldn't create them. Sometimes they're not that helpful, and so then you don't end up creating them. But just going through that process will get your mind wrapped around the game in a way that it doesn't sound like it's wrapped around it right now. Because if you're getting into a question and spending tons of time, then there's something you don't understand about the game period. It's not necessarily about that question. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, certainly you should not be looking at the watch and getting and, and thinking about, I've already spent one minute on this question or two minutes on this question. Um, it, it sounds to me like he needs to, yeah, take a deep breath before the game, make more inferences, maybe make worlds, Worlds are going to be huge, I think, for this guy. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I think that's, that is the difference a lot of times. Like, I mean, I don't know anybody who makes it all the way through the section without doing worlds sometimes. On at least one game. I would never be able to make it through the section if I didn't make worlds at le- on at least one game. I mean, yeah. I don't know which game it is. I can't predict it in advance, but I'm looking for opportunities to make worlds. Oh, and, every time, every time. Yeah. yeah. And, and there are sections where I will make worlds on every game. I mean, that happens yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Um, and if you end up doing that, if you can see that, hey, there's a dividing line here and there's really only two sets of solutions, there's a solution that looks like starts with this and there's a solution that starts with this and you make some inferences in both of those worlds or at least one of those worlds and then you end up just destroying that game. And it has nothing to do with checking the watch. It has nothing to do with like timing yourself on every individual question. It's just you're, you're predicting everything in advance when you, when you, make, those, when you make those inferences up front. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to work out really well for Zach. Yeah. But I, I would, uh, I would throw away the watch Zach and, uh, I would start doing this on a Zen. You're, you're going to be doing the test on a much higher level than everyone else in the room. Yeah. So he's got the subject of the email is logic games, Slowpoke. Um, for one, you're already better than half the people in the room. If you're getting two or three games, right. You're that's not, I mean, that's like, average at worst yeah so you know you're not i I wouldn't say it's you shouldn't be thinking of yourself as a slow poke you're actually just 
you're, you're perfectly fine. You're getting it and you're going to get a lot better. Um, yeah, well, write us back in and let us know. Give us an update a yep. month from now how you're doing. But I think you're going to be doing awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I th- we, we have made it through our backlog, Ben, of emails. Yay. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, any, uh, I guess we should promote our subscription page. Sure. Which is thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. Yep. Uh, you can also please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we have, I, I, I was looking the other day, reading the reviews. They're very nice. People say very nice things about us in the reviews and we definitely appreciate that. Um, it really helps people to find us when you do that. So go to iTunes and rate and review us, uh, email the show. Have we we gotten above two stars yet or where are we at there? (laughs) Yeah. We're we're knocking on the door of three stars, dude. It's awesome. (laughs) Um, Please, uh, please email us anytime you have questions, help at thinking We will probably mock you, but we do it from a place of love. So, uh, don't take it too personally, but no, we will respond. We respond to every email we get and, uh, most of them make it onto the show. So please email us. Uh, I don't know anything else, Ben. No, that's it. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from everybody. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for listening. Tell a friend, and we will talk to you soon.